Good morning. You guys look good this morning, even having to get up an extra hour early. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Hey, uh, if you've got your Bibles, I want to go ahead and encourage you to open up to Mark chapter 1. And let's start here. Let's imagine, if you will, this is first century time, Jesus' uh, world that we're living in. And you have just gotten the news that you are going to be quarantined. Now, quarantine is not a word that we use around here very often, but we all know, no matter the century, that word that gets used is specifically a dangerous term, isn't it? Quarantine means you get excluded, secluded, moved away from everyone else. You get put into a scenario where for your protection and other people's protection, you have been moved out of the normal rhythm of the world, normal relationships, normal comings and going of people in our community. And this is what's going on in our world. We've got this happening in this time. A, A man has found himself with leprosy. The priest has declared that he is unfit, unclean, and unsafe for the community that he's a part of. Now, in Jesus' day, oftentimes what would happen with this disease is you would be told to uh, dress in sackcloth, move outside of the community, and if you came into contact with anyone, you would have to shout the words, unclean, unclean, not welcome, not how are you, unclean, so that people would keep their distance from you and hopefully not catch your disease. That was That was the mindset of the day. That was the the world that they were living in. Now, uh, leprosy today is not something that we are overtly concerned about. But the reality is, is is it's a disease that would cause uh, what would start as kind of a rash, would kind of grow into a deformity, would ultimately lose the the feeling in whatever limbs or or part of the appendage that uh, had attracted this or whatever. And eventually it it would ultimately lead in your death. Now, in the 1880s, or 1800s, excuse me, Dr. Hansen decided, decided to call it something different. He called it Hansen's disease and began to realize that it could be treatable. It was not a life-threatening disease if treatable. By the 1980s, many of us understand that with basically three simple antibiotics, we could be cured. It's not very transferable, but the reality is 95% of us today have a natural immunity to it. But this was the kind of thing that happened in Jesus' day. If someone got leprosy, they were quarantined. It would take 25 to even 40 years for the death. It was not instantaneous. But they would be labeled as untouchable. They'd be seen as outcasts. They'd be thrown off to the side. No social life, no interaction, no community to belong to. And it was a death sentence. Until eventually you would take your last breath. But imagine, if you will... If there was a healing that could happen, a restoration that could happen. And immediately, your life could be different. Immediately, you're not alone. But immediately, you could step back into the relationships, the the rhythm and rhyme of community. You could be restored and healed and brought back into life. Normalcy. That's really where we find ourselves in Mark chapter 1. And I want to encourage you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, if you will. But we're jumping into, uh, into the gospel of Mark, if you will, for the next six weeks. Why, you ask? Because it's Mark Madness. Yeah, 
See, the creative genius that happens in our hallways is second to none. So you may notice you have a mark bookmark in front of you. Um, and we want to encourage you to, over the next few days, we'll do Monday through Thursday like our normal rhythm. Uh, we'll unpack a devotional thought out of a passage of Scripture. We're breaking it down a little bit differently than we do. Uh, and, and you'll get to look at a portion of Scripture. And then we'll unpack it together, uh, kind of describing what we're learning and gleaning from those passages. But as we jumped into Mark, uh, we began to say, what, what, are the, what are the words that stand out to us? I mean, we just came out of this series, The Bible Doesn't Say That, where we tried to give you some tools, some lenses, some understanding about how to open up and unpack Scripture. And so we kind of said, well, what words stand out? And you'd think, well, maybe we could preach on Jesus. Well, Jesus is pretty popular in Mark, and that certainly could be one. We could talk about repentance or baptism or love or grace or any of the numerous words that are found throughout the book of Mark. But we decided to pick on the most obvious word out of all of Mark, which is the word immediately. Some of you are like, immediately. Wow, that's, that's transformative. Well, let me, let me just give you a little, You know me. I'm not a big Greek guy. I don't unpack a lot of words. But here's what I want you to know simply this morning is there's a word called euthos, okay? And euthos is used in the book of Mark some 41 times, but 14 of those times it's specifically translated as immediately. And when you look at those 14 phrases and scenarios, you begin to recognize Jesus' response to people and how people respond to him and the immediacy of what gets changed in that moment. It's intriguing to us. We'd never looked at it through this lens and began to pull out. There are six weeks that we think we can get almost all of those scenarios in front of us and talk about how Jesus interacts, how Jesus responds. Now, it's interesting. When we look at the book of Mark, uh, Mark has 16 chapters. It's the shortest of the first four books of the New Testament. But the last third, 11 through 16, actually deals fully with the Passion Week or the, the final days of Jesus where he's arrested, uh, crucified, buried, and rose again. 11 through 16 take care of that. And Mark really uses, this writer writes down uh, basically this idea of immediately that takes us from basically Jesus' baptism into his final days. But if you were to take the, the Gospels, the four first books of the Bible out of the New Testament, that is, you would want to kind of describe how they're different because all of them deal with Jesus, right? All of them tell of Jesus' interactions, uh, share miracles or scenarios that Jesus is who he is. But each one takes it from a different viewpoint. And for our purposes, we're going to kind of summarize the book of Mark this way, that Mark explains Jesus as the suffering servant, Okay? Throughout the book of Mark, what you'll see is Jesus as a suffering servant, one who will give of himself, sacrifice of himself, go above and beyond. He, he's giving a portrait of the compassion and the generosity of God, real time, real life with people that ultimately ends up with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now, the first book in the New Testament is the book of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. And he describes Jesus as the king. It's a book about lordship, about responding to God as our authority through the person of Jesus. Luke describes Jesus as Jesus, the Savior, Messiah, that he is the one who is to come, who is to, to uh, redeem all of humanity. But John approaches Jesus from the idea that Jesus is God. It's a portrait of his deity. Now, all four books 
work within each other, but each one give a different perspective of the wholeness of who Jesus is. And Mark is the one that we're going to look at this. Mark uses this, this word euthos as just a simple expression of God's servanthood, of God showing how he has served, how, how Jesus in flesh, being Jesus himself, humbled himself, wasn't holding back, extended himself to meet people without reluctance, to care for them, to love them, to live a life that pointed people back to God. And Mark is perhaps one of the youngest of the apostolic writers. He's a young preacher. And so he is trying to hook, he's trying to engage, he's trying to connect people with some sorts of crossroads of decision. He's trying to help them understand. Mark is perhaps proposing two questions out of his gospel, and we would say it this way. The first question is this. Is Jesus worthy to be followed? I mean, if Jesus is who he says he is, is he somebody that is worthy to be followed? Because there was in that day a hopeful desire of one who would come and establish a new kingdom, a new community of new values that, that were centered at the heart of God. And Jesus, being the embodiment of that, was now leading in a new revolution that would bring heaven to earth. And so the first question is, is Jesus worthy to be followed? And the second question, Mark would probably say, if so, will you? If Jesus is who he says he is, would you be willing to follow him? So it's a transformative book that really kind of leads to an entire gospel understanding that if we're going to understand who Jesus is and we believe Jesus to be who he is, will we be the kind of people that would be willing to surrender our lives back to God and therefore live as a representation of Jesus in the world that we're a part of? Now, there are three types of people often that will be in a room like this when we start to talk about who Jesus is. And the first one it's probably a group of people who are just, they're trying to say, is Jesus really worth following? I mean, we're asking questions and we would call people unbelievers or we would call people seekers and some, we would, we would call people, they're, they're, they're searching, right? They're trying to figure out who Jesus is. Now there's another group within our culture today that would say, oh yeah, I know who Jesus is, but probably doesn't live like Jesus lives. And we, we would use this phrase, we use this among our staff, it's not a phrase that we use lightly, but we would describe them as Christian atheists, right? People who say, we believe in who God is, but we don't live like we believe who God is. But then there is a group of people who say, I know who Jesus is, and my life is transformed because of it. And we would call those people disciples, or students, or followers of Jesus, and as we talk about this this morning, you probably fall in one of those categories. The nice truth is this. As we try and describe where people are in their spiritual journey, everybody is welcome to pursue God no matter where they are. And this is a safe place to ask those questions and begin a journey, even press in and challenge some of the viewpoints that you may have, whether you believe, whether you don't believe, whether you follow or whether you don't follow. This is a community to be able to do that. So Mark chapter 1, let's jump in, and we're going to look at two different passages that actually begin to, uh, uh, begin to unpack the mission of Jesus. Now, we're kind of skipping over his birth. We're kind of skipping over his baptism, his introduction into um, his ministry. And John the Baptist has been uh, one of the followers of Jesus, but was a precluder, a prelude to who Jesus was, has been declaring that Jesus is coming. 
And we find Jesus literally walking amongst the world and community, and ministry is starting to happen. Who he is and what he's teaching is beginning to be played out in real life and real time. So here's what it says. We're going to start in Mark chapter 1 in verse 29. As soon as they left the synagogue... This is Jesus and some of his disciples. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. Get what's going on? It's a family member of a close friend of Jesus, and so they're going to their house to, to see what's going on. So he went to her, he took her by the hand, he helped her up, the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening after sunset, people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon-possessed, and the whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Isn't that an interesting verse? We should talk about that later. Verse 40 then says this. We've got a little bit of a segue in between these two passages. Jesus is pulled away after healing these people and doing these miraculous things. He pauses for a time of prayer. And verse 40 says this. A man with leprosy came to him, meaning Jesus, and begged him on his knees. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. It's a powerful word. Indignant. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone. Boy, that's an interesting phrase. But go, show yourself to the priests. Offer your sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead... He went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. I love these two passages. And after coming out of a series like uh, the Bible doesn't say that and using some tools, it, it's fun to jump in and look at a larger piece of scripture and say, let's, let's do a little bit of a comparison contrast to what's happening in this. What are the similarities and what are the differences and what's the, what's the pieces that are holding this together? Of course, we've already given you a clue that the word immediately is kind of our hinge point, right? But Jesus has two different accounts. And you can start with their similarities. We have two people who are sick, Right? They're both healed by Jesus, and they both move forward in their healing. They, they, they are touched by Jesus, and as a result, more people come. And this is probably why Jesus takes a break, because every time he does a miracle, a larger crowd begins to show up, things begin to expand, and he pulls back to recenter his life and his relationship with God in a season of prayer and a season of strength and restoring himself begin he, before he begins to enter into one of these new moments again. But let's begin to break it down. One has a fever, another had leprosy. One, Jesus came to at the request of others, the other one came directly to Jesus. One begged Jesus to be healed, the other didn't even say a word. One began to serve Jesus right away, the other was told to go to a priest. 
One expresses his hope for healing. The other doesn't express hope at all. So here's what we need to know. While their conditions are different, they both need healing. While their conditions are different, both need healing. One has this great fever and the other has leprosy. From the moment you were told you had leprosy, you knew you had a death wish. From the moment you had a fever, you knew your temperature was up, right? Right? And oftentimes we'll look at a fever and we'll think, oh, that, that, that's something that can be cured with two ibuprofens, right? And we'll just move on. Leprosy was something that was going to occur over time. And eventually, not only would you lose your mobility, your health, you would end up in death. But there's a great difference between a fever and leprosy, right? One still had a, a normal life. One still people came in contact with or interacted with. The other was completely outcast and excluded. So maybe it's good to know then that while both were healed, the cleansing was also different. The cleansing was also different. For the woman with the fever, uh, she went right back into her life, right? As soon as she was restored, she jumped right back up, and the scripture says she began serving them, waiting on them, caring for them. She began being a hostess again, being hospitable. And there's no real ritual cleansing with her, but to the man who had leprosy, He's told to go back to the priest to remove the label of quarantine. In that day, if you did not go back to the priest and go through the process of ceremonial cleansing, you could not be included back with the community. It's kind of like some of our workplaces around here. If you have a cold and you're out for a day or two, you're supposed to come back with a doctor's note, right? That it's safe for you to come back to work. That's what's happening here on a much more grand scale. What's happening is in his life, he has been excluded, pushed to the edge, outside community, shouting his unworthiness, his uncleanliness. And now that he's restored, Jesus says, I need you to go back and go back through so that you can ultimately be restored to the world and the community that you're a part of. Which helps us understand this. While their cleansing was different, the power of Jesus was immediately the same. Both were instantaneously restored. Both were instantaneously healed. I like how that word indignant shows up, though, in the second story. The word indignant, when I hear it first, the first thing I think about is disgust, right? If somebody's indignant, they're disgusted with what's going on in that moment. And disgust usually is kind of like a moment of just disapproval is how I would often think about that word. But indignance is not that at all. Indignance is being so compassionate that you are offended by the thought that this is not corrected. You understand what I'm saying? So let me point this picture. On one, Jesus has just been taken to a friend's mother-in-law and she has a fever and Jesus naturally goes in and does a healing. The other picture, Jesus is on his way and a man intercedes in his life, steps into his world, invades his world and says, hey, if you're willing... If you're willing, I know that you have the ability to heal me. And Jesus looks at him like, duh, right? This is what I do. This is the greatest day ever, right? You know? And Jesus has this moment where it's just like, of course, why wouldn't you come to me? Why wouldn't people bring their hurting, their broken, the outcasts of the world to me? This is who I am. This is what I do. 
and immediately shows this expectance, the opposite of reluctance. Jesus is not reluctant or disgusted or bothered by this. He's so impassioned that it's absurd to think that he would not move in this moment. Doesn't that encourage you? I mean, you think about all the people in our world that are hurting or broken or outcasts. You think about people who felt excluded, ignored, pushed down, pushed away. And Jesus is going, that's exactly why I'm here. That's exactly what I do. I am willing. Because Jesus makes all things, all of us, new. So maybe we need to start pressing this into our world. Out of early first century, out of the pages of scripture and begin to to press this deeply into our own lives and our own wounds. I guess the question would be for us then, are we willing to go to Jesus and ask him if he is willing? And when we see people who are sick and hurting, and, and maybe it's just because we, we look at it in that sense, somebody's got the sniffles and the other one's on a, on, it's got a death sentence for their life. We keep it in a matter of physical health, but it plays out to the context of a greater spiritual health, Right? That Jesus not only comes to restore what is physically broken, but that Jesus' life is the very fix for what ails us, right? His death, his burial, his resurrection becomes the peace that begins to cure the epidemic of humanity. But the challenge is, for many of us, when we hear a story like this, we don't doubt, we don't doubt Jesus' power or Jesus' ability we doubt its availability for us, don't we? Sometimes when we hear a message like this, we go, oh, of course Jesus would heal someone who had a fever. Oh, of course Jesus would heal a leper. But if you knew my struggle, if you knew my ailment, you hearing what I'm saying? So maybe let's play with this a little bit. Sometimes I think we begin to justify somebody's illness over our illness. Or we might say we're not as sick as somebody else. We, we play out the, the score of which sickness is worse, right? But let's take out the words fever and leprosy and let's, let's say it maybe this way. Sure, sure, I looked at porn, but I didn't have an affair, right? Or I lied to my boss, but I've never cheated on my taxes, Right? Or I've yelled at my kids, but I've never walked out the door. You hear what I'm saying? Sometimes in our brokenness and in our sins and our struggle, we start to score who has the fever and who has leprosy. But Jesus only sees the sick. Jesus only sees the hurting, the broken. The need for restoration. When I think about these people, what these people would have heard or seen, and I think about these two situations, there seems to be this one major difference. And the biggest difference is this. One makes sense to be healed, and one doesn't. I mean, when I read this, and I think about how we score things in our world, right? It makes sense that Jesus hears, heals Peter's mother-in-law, right? But not some random guy off the street, it makes sense that Jesus heals one of his friend's relatives, but not some outcast of society who's already excluded for everybody's benefit. It makes sense for Jesus to heal this woman's ailment, 
but not a man who's considered ritually unclean, unacceptable. It makes sense for Jesus to heal the simple, the easy, tiny fever, but not the nobody living in quarantine who doesn't belong to begin with. But that's what I love about Jesus. Isn't it the same with ourselves, though? Isn't it the same that we score things different? I get how Jesus would be willing to heal maybe the insider with a fever, but not the outsider who really sins or has major flaws, right? I get how Jesus would want to reach out to her, but my problems, well, they're, they're, they're so worse. I get how Jesus may make time for him, but my issues, they're much stronger. But what Jesus is trying to get at is it doesn't matter what your illness is. We all need to be healed. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all need healing and we need it immediately. We need it now. And Jesus is always willing. See, it's this truth that Jesus' willingness to change our lives never changes. This is what Jesus does, is he transforms us. Whether we're sick with a fever or sick with leprosy, or have some hidden addiction or some habit we're hung up on or some broken relationship, Jesus heals people. And his willingness to change, to transform lives is as active today as it's ever been. The way that Jesus dealt with people then is how Jesus deals with people now. And the way Jesus dealt with people uh, then is how he calls people to join him now. So let me ask you this. What is your if you are willing, that you need to present to Jesus. It's probably not a disease. Maybe it's a situation. Maybe it's a scenario. Maybe it's the woundedness of your divorce. The struggle of having kids outside of marriage. Maybe you got fired from your job. Maybe you've got a string of life choices that are coming up from your past. Maybe you've gotten a DUI. Maybe you've got an addiction that nobody else knows about. Maybe you just have an internal battle that wages war every day inside of you. Is Jesus willing? Absolutely. Can Jesus heal us? Absolutely. But Jesus' willingness to heal people is not in his miracles, the greatest feat that he's ever done, It's what he's done through the cross. It's through his death. It's through his burial. It's through his resurrection. It's in that moment that he's on the cross that we see the willingness of God to lay down his life so that we might know his love, so that we might experience his forgiveness, so that we might understand that our sins are no longer held against us, but he has paid a price that we can now be accepted, approved, and belong in the family of God. When we hear something like that, it should remind us of this, that the willingness of Jesus should stir in us a willingness to follow him. Knowing the the, the willingness of Jesus to extend himself to love and care for others should stir in us a, a desire to do the same, to be those kind of people to be the ones that step up and stand out, to to be the kind of people that engage people who have somehow been seen as outcasts or oppressed or pushed to the edges, that we would be transformed people who would take a transformed message to them. 
and they would see the, the power of Jesus. For some of us in this room, uh, maybe we're accepting this willingness for the first time. And maybe we're saying, okay, I'm willing to be restored, to be healed. For some of us, maybe we think back, we remember the willingness we once had and, and re- remember that it wasn't something that we earned, but it was something that God gave us. For some of us, maybe we, we praise and thank God for how God is continuing. He's continuing to be willing and changing us every day, making us new. So for some of us in this room, maybe we need to take this message, this reminder that we have been transformed and be willing to take it to others. The truth of the matter is, Jesus clearly wants us changed, transformed. He meets us as we are, but he leads us to who we've been created to be. And if we're willing, we too get to experience the restoration of Jesus. So the questions we ask, is Jesus really willing, worthy to be father, follow? Is Jesus really worthy to be followed? And if so, will you? Now, it's intriguing with the closure of those two passages. There's a final verse or two that stops to talk about how Jesus silenced the demons because they knew who he was. And when Jesus heals the leper, he asks him to be quiet about who he is as well. Why? Well, in the first passage, what we saw was clearly Jesus does this miraculous work. This woman gets up, begins to be hospitable to the, to the people that are there, and word breaks out, and the entire community shows up at the doorstep, Right? And people who are seeking if Jesus could be this person are coming for healing. But those that are demon-possessed, that that God is freeing them from their shackles, the demons know exactly who Jesus is. And so by his authority, by being God himself, he silences them so that the, the chaos of the communication doesn't take over the cause that Jesus is committed to. You see what I'm saying? So then Jesus turns to this man who's been healed of leprosy and he says, Please, 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 don't say anything. Go back. Live out the obedience, the process of what we've called you to do. The ceremonial cleansing, the restoration to your community. But he does what he wants to do, right? I mean, is it a bad thing to talk about Jesus? No. Unless Jesus asks you to hold it for a moment. Because doing what he thought was best began to clog and confuse the ministry of Jesus moving forward. Friends, there's only one way to live out willingness before God. And if we're going to be willing to let God transform us, willingness should also lead us to obedience. Shouldn't it? Let's move to our time of response. In the coming weeks, there's going to be this transition that we're going to be crescendoing, so to speak, into Easter. And Easter is always an exciting time for us because it's kind of like the Super Bowl for us, right? Everybody who maybe hasn't been in church in a while or maybe seeking church out, they they show up and the, the rooms are packed and the songs are great and everybody rushes in. But I think this message of Jesus is something that we immediately need to begin to put to place. We need to begin to put into process. 
See, there are those of us in this room that we would say we have been transformed by Jesus. We have accepted his free gift. We responded in faith to the grace that was given to us. We've, we've lived those things out in front of people. We've, we've confessed the transformation that God's put us through. We've repented and realigned our hearts back to God rather than for ourselves. We even were buried into baptism with Jesus reminding ourselves that our old ways have been put to death. We're now clothed in Christ. We're seen as accepted and right before God. But sometimes we have to admit that while we've checked those actions off the box, we've done the things that are expected of us, that the willingness of transformation should grow us in the willingness of obedience. And you were not simply transformed for your own benefit, but you were transformed so that the world might know that change, that you would join in that mission, that you would tell of how Jesus has changed you. You would speak of the miracles of God in your own life, whether it's the perseverance of the struggle whether it's the overcoming of obstacles, whether it's the healing of relationships, we become the willing ones to not just receive, to not just take for ourselves, but to join a movement of restoration and reconciliation of God changing us to change his world. Some of you have a friend that maybe you need to invite, and this is a great series for us to, let's just talk about who Jesus is. Let's remind everybody of what Jesus has done. And let's learn how to show the world what he's done through us. I wanna challenge you today. Is there something immediately that you need to respond to? whether it's surrendering to Jesus, whether it's taking a step of obedience, or whether it's as simple as knowing a friend that needs to hear this story, would you immediately today make that decision to respond? Let's pray. God, I had asked that you would move in this moment, that the power of your spirit would begin to quicken our minds, convict our hearts, that we would be so convinced that the history that your word speaks of, the life and the pattern of Jesus would engage us in such a way that we would realize it's not just something of the past, but it is for our presence. That the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus is the grand declaration of God's great love for humanity. It's an invitation to all None of us are too far to be reached. None of us are too dirty to be cleansed. And none of us are too far out that we can't be brought back. And so God, today we say thank you. Thank you for making possible what we could not make possible on our own. It's because of the work of Jesus that we pray and in his name that we pray. Amen. If you're new to first, um, we do something different in our service at this point. Um, 
the music's going to begin to play and many of us will stand and sing and we use this we call this our response time and we set up stations around the room for people to freely respond and we do that by moving throughout the room because we think the movement makes it memorable it marks us in a way that we're literally thinking about the decisions and the actions that we're going to take in the next few moments there are stations around the room up front you see these benches and some people will come up and pray a word of thanksgiving to God. Some, some will come forward and maybe, maybe ask for help or share a broken heart. But this is a place that we come and as a church we pause and pray just as an act of worship back to God. For some of us, we also move to these tables. There are six of them around the room. And on those six tables are a candle that uh, next to them are some trays. And in those trays, there is bread and there is juice. And we're reminded that it was Jesus who said on the night that he, before he was betrayed, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. It was a, a commemoration that his, his death, his burial, his resurrection would be, would be the gift that would give salvation back to humanity. And so we eat that bread drink that juice, not only to commemorate, but to celebrate that we too have experienced that new life. And then several of us will move to these respond boxes that we have, four in the room. Some will take a connection card. There's a decision that they're making today, maybe a prayer request that they want to share with our staff and our elders, uh, things that they want to lay out before us. And they'll write their name and their request, and they'll put that in the the given respond boxes. Others may, maybe will make a decision to be baptized or to join a group or to find a place to serve. But all of us who call this church our home, who celebrate the chance to see the mission of God go beyond these walls to transform the world around us, will also give through our, through our finances. And you can give through the given response boxes or you can download our Give app and use that. But we give, we sacrifice because we realize God's doing a greater ministry than just in us. That God's doing this all around the world. And we, we sacrifice. We're generous because we believe Jesus is the solution to what ails us. So let's stand, let's sing, and let's respond, whether through prayer through communion, through the boxes, or even just through our singing. Let's stand and let's respond.